one gets everything he wants. I wanted a mission. And for my sins, they gave me one. Brought it up to me like room service. Captain Willard, are you in there? Yeah, I'm It was a real choice mission. Welcome back, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the Alternate Current Radio Network and also at 21stCenturyWire.com. And later after the show on iTunes, uh, we are absolutely uh, climbing up the charts on iTunes for some reason in the last couple of weeks. So we're sort of in the top tier, I guess, on iTunes uh, for podcasts. So that's exciting. So if you're on iTunes or you have it, definitely download us there. Get us on your rotation, but also we're on Spotify uh, and iHeartRadio and a couple other uh, platforms as well. Uh, thanks for rejoining us. I'm here in studio with Mike Robinson, editor of the UK Column. Hello, Mike. Yeah, Patrick. And oh, what an interesting news week it's been, Mike. Uh, as they say, April showers bring May flowers. You know that old saying, don't you? Yes. <laughs> so a few flowers have sprouted out in this week. And uh, one of the most beautiful and amazing flowers, a wildflower of sorts, uh, is sprouted out. And in terms uh, of a leak uh, from the OPCW, the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, uh, based in The Hague uh, in the Netherlands. And uh, this leak made its way uh, to probably the right place uh, where such leaks should be going, which is to the working group on Syria media and propaganda. And on the line right now, we have one of their members, uh, who's Dr. Piers Robinson. He's also the co-director of the Organization for Propaganda Studies. He's joining us on the live link right now. Hello, Piers. Hi, Patrick. How are you? Very well. Very well, Piers. And I, I guess you could say, Piers, it's been a very interesting week, uh, just really after the one-year anniversary of the uh, alleged chemical weapons attack in Duma, uh, which happened in April uh, 2018. And the OPCW report came out a few months ago, and uh, it was uh, weak, to say uh, to say the least. A lot of uh, people were questioning it. It seemed ambiguous. And then, lo and behold, this was an incredible story, uh, appears here, that's materialized, whereby you have a, a what, what we could describe as a secondary uh, report that was somehow not included uh, in the fact-finding mission's final report. And it certainly should have been included in the report based on its contents. This is an incredible story, Piers. Just walk us through what the significance of this particular leak is and how, how does this change the overall narrative of the Duma attack? Well, this, this leak is very important because what it what appears to be is, is an engineering report which has been um, initiated by by one or more members of the OPCW, authorised, etc., to examine one of the key elements um, of the investigation which came up in the final Duma report, which is the question of the cylinders, uh, the yellow cylinders, which people will probably remember the pictures, the images of them, and the question of how these cylinders arrived where they were. And, of course, the final OPCW report concluded that um, it was likely, although it wasn't 
didn't express great certainty, but it's, it said that the cylinders and the damage and, and so on and so forth was compatible or consistent with having been airdropped from helicopters. And what this engineering report indicates really is the polar opposite of that. The, the conclusion uh, of the people involved in this report that was leaked was that actually the, the damage on the cylinders, the damage in the surrounding area, etc., was not compatible with the cylinders having been dropped from a helicopter. It's actually compatible with them having been um, essentially placed there. And, of course, the importance of all of that is, is, is that um, this leaked report is suggesting essentially that um, the idea that the Syrian government, which carried out the attack using helicopters to drop cylinders, is incorrect. Um, and it's far more likely that the event was actually staged. So this really, I mean, this, this report is, is polar opposite to what the OPCW report finally said when it came out. Um, and as anyone who wants to read it online, it's clearly a detailed report and it's been commissioned and so on. Um, and as many other people and probably many of your listeners have perhaps um, sort of considered over the last year, the findings seem to be much more consistent with what we see. Um, you know, one of the notorious, it seems, sort of claims about the, the yellow cylinder which punched through the roof of the bedroom, hit the floor, and then suddenly started horizontal movement to move across the room to then land on a bed without damaging the bed at all, rather extraordinary sort of uh, process. This is pretty much debunked in the leaked engineer's report, more or less fudged over, if I recall, in the final FFM report, um, which the OPCW released, where there was, it, I think it, just, it talked about the sort of the trajectory of the cylinder, etc. Um, and so all of these kind of very strange anomalies, etc., which a lot of people have been questioning over the last year, seem to have been confirmed by the leaked report. And it just throws into question now what was actually going on in the OPCW and whether or not there's been some kind of pressure being exerted in order to serve up a particular set of conclusions. And then I guess the key backdrop in all of this is that, of course, France, America and Britain bombed Syria um, within seven days of Duma having occurred. Um, so for those state parties which are closely involved with the OPCW, there would have been a powerful incentive to place that kind of pressure. Um, you know, we've seen this before, right? We've seen this in Iraq, run-up to the Iraq invasion. We've seen intelligence experts and so on being pressured um, to be selective with the intelligence to serve up the kind of material which would allow the US and UK governments to make the false claim that Iraq was a, a current WMD threat. We've seen all of this before, these kind of institutional political pressures. And the question now is, is, is how much that might have happened in the OPCW. Um, and so I, I think that's, that's the major sort of big question mark which is now hanging over that final report. Uh, I, I would add just before I stop, I mean, there are two more incredibly important things which we picked up in that terms of our own briefing uh, analysis of the final OPCW report is that you not only have the question of the cylinders, okay, um, which is now being brought into question by the leaked report, you have the issue of how the people died in the apartment block building uh, on the one hand, the final OPCW report says that only chlorine was found, that there's no traces of sarin. Um, but at the same time, the report says that the, the bodies and the way they're arranged, it suggests that they 
um, dropped dead instantly on the spot, i.e. suggesting a nerve agent. And so you've got a real inconsistency in the OPCW report. On the one hand, saying the images seem to suggest people dropped dead on the spot, but chlorine couldn't really do that. You need to have a nerve agent doing that. So you've got a pretty big problem in the report with respect to that, and, and now with the cylinders as well. And then, of course, to add on top of all of this, I mean, the Russians took eyewitnesses to the Hague very soon after Duma, who testified or claimed that the hospital scenes had been staged. And as probably many of your viewers know, Riam Delati, the BBC producer, two months ago tweeted stating that the hospital scenes in relation to Duma had been staged. So you've got three huge things going on there. You've got big questions over the cylinders, suggestions that they weren't indeed placed there, and evidence in terms of this leaked engineering report. You have this question of, of, of the inconsistency over chlorine apparently being present, but that note being no sarin. Um, and then you have this, this evidence that we have of, of the hospital scenes having been staged. Add all of that together and you've got a huge question mark over the idea that it was the Syrian government who carried out the attack. And just a just a question. I mean, the the, the magic cylinder uh, was flagged uh, early in the uh, OPCW's uh, fact finding mission report, and nobody could possibly understand why they would uh, even attempt to sort of leave that hanging out. Basically, the that this, somehow this cylinder hit the ground in a in a bedroom and jumped up in the air horizontally and landed on the bed, the Randy magic cylinder, uh, as we called it at the time. Uh, so there's a lot of these things that, w- that seem to be hanging out in the report, Piers, like the uh, the pictures of the adjacent buildings with the, the holes in the roof, uh, which clearly would have been from mortar fire or, or something e- easy to explain like that. And... So, but they were just kind of hanging out there, almost like uh, calling the official narrative into question, but not really pursuing it in the report. And and now with the leak that uh, you've analyzed and your group has analyzed uh, here, it it seems like maybe that might have previously been in the report, but was maybe uh, pulled out of the report, maybe um, because the final report seems like it's it's a bit of it's kind of hacked together. I don't know if you got that feeling as well, Piers. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a very good point. I think you're right on the money there. If you read the final OPCW report, and we, we made this very clear in our briefing note, um, it seems a very poorly constructed piece of work. Um, you know, some of the diagrams don't have correct labeling, for example. There isn't sufficient information being provided to really evaluate how they reached the, the conclusions that they, they did. Very unusually for an FFM report, um, there's nobody signing it off. <laughs> okay, yes. and normally these reports have somebody putting their name to it. No one's put their name to this, so you, you have an extremely questionable report in terms of the, the quality of it. Um, we are actually there's about four of us who are now looking quite closely at the uh, leaked report versus the, fi- the final OPCW report and the interim report and trying to piece together what seems to have possibly happened. And I think you, you're correct. There does seem to be have been a process whereby sort of information that might have been... I mean, this is, okay, this is one possible scenario, that, that, that there was 
uh, report and, and that leaked report was in, in, in a sense in play, um, but then sort of it was edited or material was removed or it was brought in and included in a report and then sort of problematic stuff was, was taken out. The point you raise about the fragmentation, we're actually looking at that closely at the moment, that that does seem to be something which is absent from the final report um, for, for no obvious good reason. And if you go back and look at the images, you know, that there is evidence of fragmentation patterns from explosive etc um so i mean it's, it's difficult we're looking closely at it at the moment and we also will get an engineer to, to to look at it as well um but it does look as though there might be that kind of process going on i, I would say even before that and we do point this out in, in the briefing note that we issued is that to begin with this report which has been leaked it appears to have been it was a man called ian henderson and it seemed to be a team who was on the ground in in syria and what we know from the final OPCW report was that at some point, um, external or companies or organizations or experts outside the OPCW were consulted. And, and what it appears to be the case is that sort of perhaps this report was the first one that was, as it were, in the machine. Uh, and then at some point, you, you had um, a seeking out of, of additional opinions. Um, and so the kind of question raised there is, is whether, and, and remember now that the OPCW CW final report took a year to come out. These things are meant to be done in three months. Okay, so it's a very, very long time scale. So I guess the question is, if there was political pressure being exerted, was there a process in which, you know, initial reports which concluded one thing, which weren't compatible with what various interested states, i.e. France, UK and the US wanted, uh, wasn't, wasn't playing out the way it wanted to, and then you have a decision to bring in other experts and that's a really important question which needs to be drilled down into and this is one of the things that we're hoping if, if any mainstream journalist decides to start doing his or her job at this point they start digging into this is to try and understand or identify those organizations or companies whoever it was um, was asked to carry out assessments later in the day over the cylinders um, because I think that's 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 the big question here. What is, ha, what has there been a manipulation going on in order to get particular results? And at the end of all that, you, you know, the easy, really easy way for this whole issue to be resolved before it gets any more publicity and so on, and any more Hollywood actors start talking about it, etc., is that the OPCW simply published. Okay, um, all of the engineering reports which it drew upon um, uh, makes them publicly available for public scrutiny and expert scrutiny, and you have some kind of proper, transparent peer review process going on. And then we could resolve all of this, and then we could have uh, engineers looking at the questions of, is this trajectory of the cylinder, the Randy cylinder, or maybe it was just Sleepy, um, is, is this a plausible trajectory? Is it possible? It has, have the calculations been done correctly? And that would be a really easy way of resolving all of this. Um, and I think that's what the OPCW should do. And you brought up an interesting point about the media peers. Uh, you said uh, if if mainstream journalists were, do, in fact, doing their jobs. 
And there hasn't seemed to be any uh, real coverage in the mainstream except for uh, one journalist, uh, Peter Hitchens, uh, the Mail on Sunday. He's got a very uh, widely read column uh, on the Mail on Sunday. He has uh, mentioned it in, a, in one of his recent uh, articles online. I don't know if it appeared in print or not, but uh, I'm sure you've read that. But I see this segregation in the media uh, whereby they're not even opposing uh, what you're coming out with, peers here. They're, they're not even attacking you over this. It's just total quiet it's it's all quiet on the western front uh on that side of the divide and then the alternative media and rt uh and a few uh rogue mainstream uh journalists like like peter hitchens uh are talking about it uh first of all what did you make of the, of the hitchens piece uh about this finding and in just general comment on uh, on the mainstream media where why why they aren't reporting on this well, I'm very grateful that Peter Hitchens ha- has uh, demonstrated the, the courage and integrity to, to get the information out, um, at least in, in a mainstream media outlet. Um, you know, I'm sure this information is circulating through RT International, and, and it will have a, a lot of people globally will be aware of it. But it's very good that Peter Hitchens has done that in the UK. Um, as for the behaviour of, of all the other journalists on this issue, look, they're, they're behaving exactly as, as, as many of us have expected they would and have criticised them for over the years. Herman Her- Her- I, I tire of talking about this. I might have stopped lecturing, maybe, um, about the kind of biases that there are is in mainstream across mainstream media. They're, they're behaving in the way that they always do behave. They're deferential to power. They don't ask the right questions they don't ask difficult questions but let's just broaden this out for a second and think about what this really means is that you know there's you know reasonable evidence there on the plate now that there's been some kind of subversion of the opcw that's what needs to be investigated and if it's in relation to alleged chemical weapons attacks in syria it could be far more than just duma where there's a problem now if there has been a propaganda narrative pushed by western governments to implicate the syrian regime and that's where some of the evidence is really pointing to at this point in time you have a very very major deception being initiated or carried out um, at the behest, presumably, of Western governments and their allies who've been involved in this war. We already know this is a dirty war, and we know it's a war which has involved supporting extremist jihadist groups in order to try to overthrow the Syrian government. And in all of this, and as you can see, anyone who wants to go and look at the images of the dead people in Douma, people are killed and murdered as a part of these or whatever's going on. Now, if what we have here is some kind of cover-up going on of Western involvement in a dirty war in Syria where civilians have, and this is what we think is very likely, have been murdered for the purposes of some of these staged events, this is a major war crime. And there is there is no justification whatsoever for any mainstream journalist who believes that he or she is a professional ethical individual not to investigate this at this point in time you have an incredibly clear case it was in the news france american britain bombed syria because of it um, and, and now there are these huge questions over what exactly went on and who was responsible for deaths of the people that we see in those images those poor people who were killed women and children as well as men. This is a war crime, and there is no excuse for journalists. Um, If they're worried about their jobs, right, then they could think about losing their jobs over this if necessary in order to get the truth out. There are bigger, more important things in all of this. Um, So really, you know, the journalists are behaving, or the mainstream journalists are behaving the way that they've always behaved and, and so on. But, you know, there does come a point, and you saw this in the Vietnam War, where, you know, journalists, 
do finally decide that there's a greater truth, there's a more important ethical commitment, etc., to start, start speaking truth. And so they go against those kind of pressures which are on them. Um, you know, Seymour Hirsch, uh, My Life Massacre, and so on, and all of those, you know, uh, um, Walter Cronkite editorializing during the Tet Offensive, saying America was stuck in a quagmire, etc. You know, journalists have demonstrated the ability to go up against power before in history, um, or to question properly. Um, and so, you know, the journalists that we have today should be doing exactly the same. Um, they have no excuse not to. And do you know what, on, on, on what we have in terms of this leaked document and, you know, BBC producers talking about staged hospital scenes, for example, you know, there's enough there for any journalist to, um, to, to write a story on this at this point in time and to get a proper public debate going. They've got no excuse now. And, Inaction is complicity. That's the final point I'll make. Inaction is complicity, potentially in the cover-up of a war crime. Yeah, yeah, and I'll go. I'll go even further, and I'll say some of the uh, uh, people on uh, they've seen in the threads. Uh, I would call them gatekeepers uh, who are patrolling the debate, uh, specifically on Twitter that I've seen. Um, they are actually, in a way, covering up. Uh, what's uh, been trying to be exposed here, uh, and they're actively working to sort of cover it up. At least they they appear to be acting on behalf of of the governments who are uh, stakeholders in the official story. And these are the same governments, of course, that waged uh, the uh, airstrikes and cruise missile attacks uh, in April of 2018 in response to basically an event that still there's they're acting on zero evidence. Uh, at the time, they acted on zero evidence. They acted on uh, a YouTube videos. Uh, social media postings, what they call open source intelligence. And that kind of brings me to this issue of open source intelligence. The last question I'm going to ask you to put on your academic hat, uh, peers, on this. I'm looking at the uh, fact-finding mission's final report, and the obvious uh, the obvious conclusion that you'll draw when someone shows you photographs of identical holes in, in buildings and, and one hole, they'll say that's from a mortar attack, but the one that looks exactly like it next to it, they'll say, well, that's not a mortar. That's from a, 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 a big yellow chlorine cylinder uh, that somehow directed itself uh, through that hole and didn't even go through the hole, actually uh, uh, made the hole and then reversed and sat uh, idly on the rooftop. And uh, Occam's razor comes into mind here. And I'm asking why. So that's basic logic. I don't know how you teach uh, your research uh, students over the years, your PhD students about logic, about coming up with uh, a, a plausible explanation for phenomenon. Uh, there seems to be this suspension of uh, Occam's razor in in uh, preferring to, to take another type of logical path. It doesn't actually, I don't know if it has a name, but I'll give it a new name, which I'll call Bellingcat logic. And be Bellingcat logic is where you already have the conclusion, and all you have to do is assemble the evidence to sort of fit a conclusion of guilt, which you've already decided before you even went looking for the evidence. And is, is Bellingcat logic, is that what's prevalent in the mainstream media? Is that what's prevalent out in, in the political world? I'm just going to ask, what are you, what's your opinion on this? Well, you know, I, I think the mainstream media have always, especially in foreign affairs, tended to sort of go with what fits the narrative, which is already there, you know, from Vietnam, Cold War, right through to today, and, and the war on terror, etc. It's just, you know, whatever fits the narrative and stuff, which doesn't fit the narrative, you know, so run, run a million miles from that. Um, 
people who are actually doing what they think is research, um, Bellingcat, for example, or academics, I mean, you know, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to carefully evaluate evidence for and against hypotheses and alternative hypotheses and to show that you're essentially working hard not to exclude evidence, um, which might sort of perhaps not fit a particular hypothesis. It's very clear, I think, I think certainly from uh, methodology you see sometimes with Bellingcat is that there does seem to be that process where you're sort of selecting evidence which seems to fit um, and there isn't a proper evaluation of alternative um, hypotheses. And that's what you actually see in the OPCW reports, unlike the leaked one, which is very clear about considering carefully, was this stage, was it placed cylinders, or they dropped from a helicopter, etc. But this is, you know, this is basic, simple logic. You need to not cherry-pick, you not to be selective in the use of evidence, you need to carefully evaluate evidences for and against um, hypotheses and, and competing hypotheses in that way you can start to get a, 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 a greater sort of idea or better idea of what's actually been going on. Um, but there does seem to be an awful lot of cherry picking going on. Again, you know, nothing new. I mean, we saw it with Iraq, but of course this is, you know, it's always cherry picking because, I mean, and I think this is the big question, and this is certainly the big question in relation to Bellingcat, for example, and the extent to which many journalists seem to think that it's a reliable source of information. It's quite clear that Bellingcat is, is, is not independent in, in, in any shape or form in terms of the links that it has with the Atlantic Council, for example, or, or people who work on Bellingcat, the, the links that they have with the Atlantic Council. Um, you know, that if you reverse the scenario and, and you had sort of a, a Russian version of Bellingcat and so on, you, you know, you wouldn't be trusting what they're saying um, because of their close proximity to the Russian state, etc. Um, and, you know, so that's, that's really the question here. And it goes not just for Bellingcat, for a whole range, I think, of NGOs that, that we see. We seem to be in an environment now where I think a lot of contemporary propaganda is articulated through NGOs and think tanks um, who sort of play this kind of role of being sort of they present themselves as independent and neutral um, in a way that sort of universities like to claim that they are, etc. But a lot of these think tanks, you know, that they're funded and they're funded by particular bodies with particular interests, etc. Um, and, and you have very distorted, skewed knowledge coming out of those. They're essentially sort of propaganda um, uh, 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 their propaganda NGOs in, in many ways. This point has been made, I think, about Human Rights Watch extensively, and I think certainly in the last five or six years, some of these similar criticisms have been leveled at Amnesty International in terms of the way that they're operating and the way that they gather and collect evidence. Um, it's a kind of process of gathering and collecting evidence, and the same goes for Bellingcat. That if, if you're doing a PhD in a good department, you know you fail your PhD, <laughs> etc. It's, it's not it's not proper good social science that's being carried out. Yeah, and that seems to be a very big problem we, we, we have at the moment, um, definitely. The scary thing is that uh, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, and a lot of the uh, so-called reports that they're, uh, they've commissioned or they're working with the Syrian Network for Human Rights or the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, these are all Western-backed uh, NGOs, um, those seem to be used to form policy on so, on so many different uh, um, instances. So, that's, so our policy towards Syria, our foreign policy from the U.S., from the U.K., from the E.U., uh, is really formed by the, all of these very biased 
uh, reports that have been assembled. And the OPCW seems to be less biased than maybe what uh, some of the uh, NGOs are producing, like Amnesty. Um, but uh, but with the, the this new leak uh, has kind of shed some more light on this story, and I think we have a clear picture. But as Colombo would say, do you? May, I don't know if anybody's uh, familiar with Colombo. But uh, as Colombo would say, one more thing, Mr. Robinson. <laughs> thing. I, I just had a question, Piers. Um, anywhere in this report, did, do, does the OPCW, can they confirm that the photos of all the dead bodies, of all the children and the women that were supposedly killed by a chlorine or a sarin attack or whatever, um, did they visit that site and did they confirm that it was in fact in the building which... Uh, was hit by the cylinder on the uh, the roof or in the bed, either either of those two buildings. I mean, because I, I was never clear on that, um, that determination, because that kind of makes a difference. Because um, uh, you need to prove where the photos and the images were taken. Were they in the same place that would have been affected by those two cylinders? What did you have? Have you looked at this question at all? As far as I am aware, that there is no question mark that the bodies in the building, location two in the report, the one with the cylinder in the balcony, that there were no deaths at the second cylinder, the cylinder on the bed, um, allegedly. But all of those bodies in that building were in the building, which on the balcony had the cylinder um, perched over the hole. And, and as far as I'm aware, there is no dispute over that. And I think you no know, journalists have been taken there. And I think the photographs match up. So I don't think there's any question about that. Um, as I said before, the big question with all of this is, you know, if these people were not poisoned by chlorine gas, which seems very unlikely in that building, um, how did they come to die? And how did their bodies come to be there, um, sort of uh, arranged up the staircases, etc.? That's I tell you what, there is a big doubt over. Is that as far as we're aware, and I think a, a maximum Russian um, think tank have interviewed White Helmets, and, he, and they recently said in a presentation in London at the Hague, I understand that none of the neighbours were able to identify any of those um, people in any of the dead pop dead people in the images so again that that reinforces this point is that where did these people come from um were they all reasonable speculation would be that they were hostages we know that Jash al-islam was held, holding a large number of hostages um and yeah that's that's the the rather depressing and, and very tragic and sad um as it were aspect of all of this is, is finding out who these victims really were but i think they were in that building there's a question whether they're actually uh, residents of that building it, it seems that that there's a big question mark over that and of course the opcw did not um, did not take the opportunity. It did have the opportunity to do this. It never took the opportunity to exhume the bodies. Mm-hmm. And that would, of course, allowed at least a process of trying to identify them and identify who they are. And again, just to make one final point on the quality of the OPCW investigation, you know, what kind of murder investigation doesn't exhume bodies when you can exhume <laughs> bodies? 
good point. It's it, it 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 not only that, Piers, but the forensic investigation to determine what actually uh, poisoned them, tissue samples to find out if it was a chemical agent, if it was a chlorine agent, if it was no chemical agent, if they died by other means, um, and so that would be a process of elimination. Which is why I asked you the question in the first place. Is I'm trying to uh, go through a process of elimination. If it's not chlorine, there's no so it couldn't have been chlorine uh, per se uh, based on. Uh, the analysis it couldn't have been sarin because there was no sarin found on the site so you can rule possibly rule these two things out so then you have to start exploring other hypotheses of what it could be and of course if they had exhumed the bodies uh, we would have been much closer to getting more answers that would have maybe clarified the picture on this but unfortunately that didn't happen uh, that's not to say it can't happen in the future it may may be able to to happen but it hasn't happened to date so so in terms of a murder case how could you prosecute how could you prosecute with with such an incomplete picture uh, but yet the prosecution was done and dusted uh, in the end of April of 2018. Well, the British, French, and American governments obviously didn't give a damn about any kind of due process whatsoever. I mean, they just went ahead and bombed. Um, I mean, that's the other thing in all of this is that if, if you know, if, if this is a cover-up in order to protect their interests, if France and America and Britain bombed, um, then it makes that, I mean, it kind of looked pretty illegal at the time anyway, but it look, makes it look extremely illegal now. Um, but I guess, you know, international law doesn't matter too much to the U.S. president, but, but certainly to, in the British government at least pays a lip service to these things. Um, you know, you'd expect them to be in very, very deep water. Um, if, if, if if it is as we think it is, which is the Syrian government didn't carry out um, the attack and yet they bombed anyway. Um, not supposed to go around bombing countries, <clears throat> according to international law, at least. Yeah, well, that's what we, we, we would have hoped to have learned by implementing the Nuremberg principles after the Second World War. And, and that's, the, that's the international standard. There has to be some, some standard uh, for people to agree with if you do believe in international law. Uh, but I think uh, in terms of the cartel, uh, the U.S.-led cartel, uh, it's the law of the jungle. It's, it's a Hobbesian state of nature. That is, that's international law at the moment. But yeah, I think It's the Wild West, isn't it, at the moment? Yeah. Yeah, so not much. We haven't learned a whole lot, at least since Iraq. Uh, that's that. That much is clear. Uh, but we we are getting closer to the truth on this particular story, and we're. We, I find it very interesting, Pierce. Very interesting to watch this develop unfold. I, I'm very interested in the reactions, how people are reacting to this information, how they're reacting to your uh, analysis that your group is putting forward, how the public is reacting. We see celebrities also weighing in on this, or becoming interested in this. Uh, it's t tremendously interesting and fascinating, Pierce. And I think uh, uh, it's great, uh, great work that you're doing and your team. And uh, we, we encourage you to keep, keep it up. Um, there's a lot of people out there that are, are really rooting for what you're doing and uh, really believe and uh, am grateful that you guys have dedicated uh, your time uh, with very little in terms of resources. But what you've been able to do, I think, is make a major impact so far on this story and uh, great public service, uh, great public service. That
you're providing here. So with the working group on Syria media and propaganda, there's a link on the show page. You can go read their assessment of this event and this document right now. And so I encourage people to go and do, do your own research and read about it. See what the pundits are saying. Make up your own mind uh, on this. But uh, we, we really appreciate your efforts, Pierce, and your team. And uh, we tip our hats to you guys. Okay. Much appreciated, Patrick. Yeah. Cheers. Take care. Take care. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen. That is Piers Robinson, Dr. Piers Robinson from the Working Group on Syria Media and Propaganda. Check out this story. It's very important. And going forward, I think this has a potential, Mike, to be a game changer in terms of uh, how these events are unfolding in media uh, in general and uh, the public's role, the alternative media's role in this process. Yeah, and as I said earlier, it's another example for people if I don't know how many more examples we need, but it's another example for people that governments can't necessarily be relied upon to tell the truth uh, and uh, and to not use their particular narrative to justify action taken in another country in the pursuit of some kind of policy aim that they have that perhaps the general public doesn't agree with. So if you're skeptical, it doesn't mean you're a conspiracy theorist Correct. or you're a reactionary. It means that you're just skeptical. And it's well grounded. I think that's that's a good lesson to take away. Yeah. So we uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on this. I don't think this is the end of the story. There's going to be more articles as well published on this. So this uh, a lot of people are analyzing this at the moment, including the working group. So keep an eye for that. Thank you, Piers Robinson. Uh, we're going to take a short break. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. I'm here with Mike Robinson, editor of the UK Column. This is the Sunday Wire. We'll be right back after these messages on the Ultimate Current Radio Network. Diamonds are forever They are all I need to please me They can stimulate and tease me They won't leave in the night I've no fear that they might desert me Fool me once Shame on Shame on you Fool me, we can't get fooled again. Tune into the Sunday Wire. 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. UK. Live only on ACR and 21stCenturyWire.com. 